Psalm 16, verses 2 through 5. I said to the Lord, You are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we meditate on these words of King David, we join his grateful affirmation, you are my master. Sin is no longer our master, neither is death, not our whims or our lusts, the approval of man or the acquisition of more stuff. And what a loving master you are. You created us for a life of intimacy, worship, and fruitfulness in the paradise of Eden. And you've redeemed us for an eternal life beyond our wildest thoughts, dreams, and hope. What a great and gracious God you are. Indeed, every good thing we have comes from you, Father. You are the fountain of pleasure and delights, the wellspring of joy and satisfaction, the God from whom all blessings flow and for whom all things exist. You give to us cheerfully, not begrudgingly. You love us lavishly, not reservedly. You redeem us fully, not partially. In your time and in your way, you will make all things new and all things beautiful. Hallelujah. Of all the inheritances our hearts might run after, you alone are worthy of our affection and adoration. Compared to you, Father, all other gold is fool's gold, and all other currencies are counterfeit. All other riches are rubbish, and all other treasures are trifles. Thank you for changing the price tags in our lives. Life is now Christ, and death is great gain. Boasting in weakness is freedom, and posing before men is slavery. Humility is the way up, and pride is the way down. Because of the cup you gave Jesus to drink, our cup is a bottomless ocean of your mercy and grace. Father, we praise, bless, and adore you. So very amen, we pray in Jesus' wonderful and merciful name. Psalm 122, we continue our series in the Psalms of Ascent. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Then we wouldn't have to wait so long. And wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of world where we belong? So begins what I believe to be the best album ever recorded, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. The opening song, Wouldn't It Be Nice, is a story of two young lovers who just want to be married so they can spend the rest of their time together all the time. And so, when Wouldn't It Be Nice starts off the beginning of Pet Sounds, when the first 
notes of Barney Kessel's Mando guitar come in, I get all the feels. Everything within me comes alive when this album starts. Pet Sounds gives me all the feels. I'm in awe of how incredible this album is. And if you know the backstory on the recording of Pet Sounds, then it makes you appreciate the album so much more. In 1966, as the rest of the Beach Boys were touring in Japan, Brian Wilson stayed behind to begin writing and recording their next album. Brian Wilson suffered from panic attacks when flying on planes, so the rest of the group toured without him. So in January 1966, Brian Wilson began, began recording what would become Pet Sounds. And Wilson, if you know anything about him, was a notorious perfectionist. Every note, every harmony, every vocal, every everything had to be perfect. People joked that Brian Wilson had dog ears and that he could hear things that no one else could hear, that he could hear even the slightest mistakes in recordings. And so Brian Wilson would spend days and days and days working on one aspect of a single song. He wanted Pet Sounds to be the greatest rock album ever made with no filler songs. And I believe that he accomplished that. His bandmates, however, were not so impressed. When the rest of the Beach Boys returned from touring in Japan, they were excited and thrilled to return to the studio. But when they got there, the sounds that they heard were not the traditional surf songs that had made the band famous. Brian Wilson was using new instruments that were not common to the group's past music. For instance, the French horn and the harpsichord and the accordion, the electrotheremin, the mando guitar. He even included train sounds and dogs barking and a bicycle bell and even soda cans. Even on the song, You Still Believe in Me, which is kind of this child song, it kind of has this merry-go-round feel and just the the genius behind making a song feel like you're really on this merry-go-round as he's creating it musically, well, you can hear that. Actually, there's uh, an album called The Pet Sound Sessions where you can go back and listen to Brian Wilson interacting with the musicians as they are recording uh, this song. So you can find it on YouTube and and Spotify. But he's on there and he wants to include this bicycle horn in the song. And you know those old bicycle horns you have to squeeze and they go, <laughs> so you can hear Brian Wilson talking to the guy who's trying to do this bicycle horn and you know how unpredictable those horns are? And, and he's telling him, no, it's got to be, <laughs> and the guy's like, <laughs> and he's like, no, <laughs> it's got to be perfect. And so you hear the guy struggling to get this sound. He's like, now that you got the sound right, you got the notes, but it's too loud, so make it softer. Needless to say, the rest of the Beach Boys were not as happy as they anticipated when they returned and someone said to them, let us go back to the studio. When they heard Brian was in the studio recording this album, they were so happy and thrilled to begin recording again, but that joy did not last. What they couldn't see at the time was the musical genius of Brian Wilson And that while they were gone on tour, he had in fact begun writing and recording the greatest rock album of all time. And it has the greatest pop song ever written and recorded on it, the song God Only Knows. That song gives me all the feels. And if you don't think that Pet Sounds is the greatest album ever recorded, I'm pretty sure we can't be friends.
Yes, I am a huge fan of the Beatles. They are my favorite group of all time, but none of their albums come close to the perfection of pet sounds. When I listen to pet sounds, I stand in awe of Brian Wilson. I get all the feels. And that's what is supposed to happen to human beings when they encounter the world in which they live. We are supposed to hear music that we love and get all the feels. We're supposed to hear music and see paintings and eat food and kiss a loved one and get all the feels. And then we are to trace that awe back to God as the creator. God wired us for awe. He wired us for worship. We are worshipers. But because we are also sinners, we don't always live in awe of God, do we? God doesn't always give us all the feels because we're sinners. Because sometimes we want sin. We chase after other lovers. God doesn't always give us all the feels because we're sinners. And so God, in His grace, gave us Psalm 122 to teach us this very central and incredibly important truth. Whatever controls your heart controls your life. Whatever controls your heart controls your life. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Whatever is controlling your heart, whatever it is that you are dwelling on, whatever it is that you are obsessing over, that thing will control your life, your decisions, your words. And it could be something pleasant and wonderful, or it could be something awful. Every single day, you and I are in a battle for what captivates our hearts. The battle takes place on the turf of our hearts. Will we live in awe of God and let that awe control our lives and decisions and words? Or will we allow something else to do it? In Psalm 122, David, at this moment in his life, is functioning in awe of Yahweh, the sovereign Lord. He is glad when he is invited to worship Yahweh. And his awe of God led him to be concerned with God's kingdom and not his own. So look at Psalm 20, look at, I mean Psalm 122, and look at verse 1 and hear the word of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, to the house of Yahweh. David got all the feels when they invited him to worship because in that moment, his heart was in awe of Yahweh. So verse 1 teaches us that your heart is always functioning in awe of something. Always. If David's heart was not in awe of God at this moment, then he would not have responded this way. He would have just said, meh, to their invitation. But instead, because David's heart at this moment was functioning in awe of Yahweh, he got all the feels when he was invited to worship. It's true. Your heart is always functioning in awe of something. It may be a decision that was made that you don't like. It may be some words that were said to you. It may be the neighbor's dog that barks continuously. 
It may be the person who cuts you off in the roundabout. Our hearts are always functioning in awe of something, always obsessing over something, always captivated by something. And it's not that you live in awe of that decision that was made that you don't like, or you live in awe of these words that were spoken to you, or that you live in awe of that dog that won't shut up, that won't stop barking. It's not that you live in awe of the driver that cut you off. It's that you are living in awe of yourself. You are living in awe of you and what you want. You are living in awe of your kingdom. You want your kingdom to rule. You want to get your way. Functionally, you are in awe of yourself, your kingdom, and you are worshiping you. And I do that too. When I say you, it's not, I'm different. I do it too. And when we find ourselves obsessed with our little kingdom of self, we find that our lives are controlled by what has captured our heart. Our hearts are always living in awe of something because that's how God made us. God made us and he wired us for awe. He wired us for wonder. Clearly you see this in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. They saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to their eyes. And so they took the fruit and they ate. They were in awe of God's creation, but rather than letting that awe lead them to awe of their creator, they rebelled. And that's why we are all born sinners. That's why we all have a sin nature, why we are all rebels. But the hard hard wiring that God built into us, that we are wired for awe, wired for wonder and wired for worship, it did not leave when Adam and Eve sinned. We still have that wiring inside of us. It's still a part of our makeup. It's still a part of our DNA. And that's why when you haven't eaten at Chick-fil-A in a while and you take that first bite of that chicken sandwich, you go, hmm, oh yes, there has to be Chick-fil-A in heaven and it will be open on Sundays. (laughs) Or when you see the perfect ending to an episode of the twilight zone and you go what what i didn't see that coming or when you see dirk Nowitzki of the dallas mavericks sink that shot on the baseline that catapulted him into thirty thousand career points you just go yes or when you hear pet sounds by the beach boys and you get all the feels that's awe that's wonder That's what we were wired for. But all of that, everything that gives us all the feels, is supposed to lead us to awe of God, awe of our Creator. God purposely loaded His world with amazing things to leave you and me astounded. God intends for us daily to be astounded. I was astounded this this week listening to Nancy Sinatra, the song, Bang, Bang, I Shot You Down. You know that song? And it's just her and this tremolo guitar, and it's just perfection. It's one instrument and one voice, and they come together in this marriage. And I just sat there and I said, God, thank you for the beauty of this song. The the tremolo guitar, just the way it sounds in that song was just perfection. 
Now, I didn't stop at that song and just say, this is great, this is awesome. I, I, I said, I have to trace this to you, the true source of beauty. God intends for us daily to be astounded. He has purposely loaded his world with amazing things to leave you and me astounded. And that song by Nancy Sinatra or Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys may not leave you astounded. It may be something else that you like. But understand all of this. All of his created things are supposed to lead us to worship God. And if they don't, we will get derailed. And so wherever we look for awe, that will direct and shape our lives. It could be anything. Whatever it is that we look to for awe, that will be the thing that directs our lives. And that's why you hear stories of cat ladies who have like 100 cats living in their home. They started off with just one little cute kitten, and they were in awe of God's creation. But they stopped there. They didn't trace the awe of the cat to the awe of God. And so they eventually end up with 100 cats in their house. That cat lady's heart was functioning in awe of cats. And those cats end up driving and directing the life of the cat lady. But as disciples, here is what we all know from experience. No other awe can satisfy us. No other awe can satisfy your soul or mine. No other awe can give our hearts the peace and the comfort and the joy that we all long for. Only awe of Jesus can do that. Only awe of Jesus. Trust me, I know from experience, your little kingdom of self will not satisfy. I battle this every single day. My puny little kingdom of self never really satisfies me. I'm like Brian Wilson in the studio. I'm I'm a perfectionist and everything in my life has to be perfect and go according to my plan and according to my schedule. But it never does. And I have these spiritual dog ears like Brian Wilson that are tuned in to everything that is wrong in my little kingdom. Everything that is not going according to my plan and my schedule. But my puny little kingdom of self never really satisfies me. I'm never satisfied, but I still try and rule as king every day. I look myself in the mirror time and time again, and I say to my selfish heart, you still believe in me, right? And I go about my day trying to be king. I want to be king. I want to rule. I want to get my way, but I'm never really satisfied Because I never really get my way. The reality is that I never really get my way. Something always comes along and interferes with my way, my wants, my wishes, my plan, my kingdom. And I think God might be behind all of that. In fact, I know he is. Jesus loves me too much to leave me the way that I am. And so he graciously sends me these little interruptions to derail me on my quest to be king. God only knows how many times I have looked to other things to be satisfied. Too many to count, I'm afraid. And so I'm learning that only Jesus satisfies. After all these years, I'm still learning that Jesus and his kingdom are what my heart is truly after. And that's what Psalm 122 tells us. David tells us about true satisfaction in verse 1. And so what we will see with David in Psalm 122 is that God's glory, God's kingdom controlled his heart, at least in this psalm. 
Not always, of course. We know that about David. He didn't always live in awe of Yahweh. But in Psalm 122, we see that awe of God led David to worship Yahweh, and that awe of Yahweh colored his world, everything about it. He was glad when it was time to worship. Look again at verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of Yahweh. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now recall how the Psalms of Ascent are are structured. There are three sets of five. The first Psalm in each set recalls a problem or some trouble that the psalmist is experiencing. The second Psalm in each set describes Yahweh's power or ability to keep or protect his people. And the third Psalm in each set focuses on worship in Jerusalem or Mount Zion. So in Psalm 122, we have David standing in Jerusalem in awe, in awe of Jerusalem. He tells us about a time when he was asked to journey to Jerusalem to worship. Now, we don't know when this was. David could be reflecting back on the many trips that he would make to Jerusalem to worship as a kid during one of the many festivals. David here is reflecting on the many times that joy overcame him as his family members said to him, It's time for the festival of booths, David. Let's go away for a while to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. David's point here is that when he started the journey to Jerusalem to worship during the three main festivals, his heart was glad. He's he's bubbling over here. He's thrilled to worship again. He is in awe of Yahweh again as he starts his journey to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem. And this was very common in the ancient Near East for worshipers to travel to cities to worship their local gods. Worshipers would describe their joy at worshiping their gods where they lived. Here's an Egyptian account of someone traveling up the Nile River to worship the Egyptian god Ptah in the city of Memphis. He says this, See how my heart runs off, stealing away? It flies to a spot it knows, going upstream to see Memphis, house of the spirit of Ptah, and I wish I were in it. Now why? Why would this Egyptian man want to hop in the Sloop John B. sailboat and sail the Nile River to the Egyptian city of Memphis so he could worship Ptah? This Egyptian did this because we are built and wired as human beings for worship. I know there's an answer as to why this Egyptian did this and why do it, we do it too. It's because we are worshipers. The problem is that this Egyptian was worshiping the wrong God. And that's why David is excited when he finally arrives in Jerusalem. He is there to worship Yahweh, the one true God. And you sense his relief in verse 2 because he finally arrived in Jerusalem. And he was ecstatic. Imagine journeying for days and days and days and then finally arriving at your destination. It's like when you go on vacation, what do you say to your kids? Now, what do your kids say to you after 30 minutes in the car? What are those four words? Are we there yet? And how do you reply? Caroline, no, we are not there yet. And then how do you respond after the 50th time they ask? You scream, if you ask me again, we are turning this car around. And so David finally arrives in Jerusalem, and he just stands there at the city gates, and he's taking it all in. He's in awe. 
In the ancient Near East, the gates of a city included not just the gates that opened and closed, but also large areas between a series of gates that provided spaces for animal stalls where you could put your animals. There were markets where you could trade and, and buy. And there were places together and have conversations. I'm sure they had a Starbucks in each gate. And it was also where the elders of the city would sit. And it was quite a sight to take in after you'd been traveling out in the wilderness, out in the countryside for days and days and days. And so David has left little old Orchid, California, and he has finally arrived in Los Angeles. And he's just taking it all in. So massive. He's at the entrance to the city. He has finally arrived in Jerusalem, and he has all the feels. He loves this place. He loves J-Town, because this is where Yahweh lives. Look at verse 3. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of Yahweh, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So David arrives in Jerusalem, and he's standing out outside one of these city gates, and he's just taking it all in. And there are people everywhere. He sees the elders of the city who were sitting at the gates, and that's where they would sit. And they were put in place to make judgments, kind of like a courtroom. And, and that brings him joy. Justice is happening. Cases are being heard by the elders and decided on. So the judicial system is working in Jerusalem, and this brings David much joy. And David sees his fellow Israelites who have also journeyed to Jerusalem to worship. So it's very crowded at the entrance to the city. There are little kids running around excited because they can finally get out of their car seats. There are pet sounds throughout the city. Lots of animals making noise. And that's what David means in verse 3 when he says that the city is bound firmly together. The idea is that the city and its buildings and its people are stacked up on top of one another. It's compacted. It's jammed together just like Los Angeles There were so many people in the city looking for hotels and places to stay. And the traffic was just like L.A. And so it's all bound together, he says. It's all compacted together. But even more so, the city is bound together in their relationship with Yahweh. All of these people are in covenant with Yahweh and they have come to worship him. The 12 tribes of Israel have all ascended and then descended upon Jerusalem to worship in the one central place where Yahweh said his name would dwell and where he would manifest his presence and meet his people. And so when the 12 tribes went to Jerusalem to worship, they entered again into the story of God's redemption. They came to give thanks to the name of Yahweh. And as they worshiped, they were reminded about a bigger and a better kingdom. And we see that with David's prayers in verses 6 through 9. Look at verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. David, as king, knows that the welfare of the nation of Israel rested on the success of the king. The king was the moral compass of the nation. If David goes down, then the whole nation goes down. So in one sense, David is Israel. That's why David prays for the security of Jerusalem here. David is king of this mighty nation, but David still needs outside help. David knows that the city needs Yahweh's protection. 
And so David has to look even outside of himself to even survive as king. He needs Yahweh's help. He needs Yahweh to not only establish his kingdom, but to help him keep it secure. David knows that if Jerusalem is weakened or destroyed, then corporate worship goes with it. And so he prays for the peace of the city, the shalom, the wholeness, the well-being of all involved. It isn't that Jerusalem is some special city. Jerusalem is special in David's day because that's where Yahweh said he would cause his name to dwell. God could have picked any podunk town in Israel, and that town would have been a special place to worship. Jerusalem is special because that's where Yahweh lived. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where, after David, the temple was. And that's where David's focus was. David has the greater advancement of God's glory as his purpose. He's focused on worship here. He's not simply interested in maintaining the safety of Jerusalem for his own agenda, for his own kingdom. He is asking Yahweh to intervene and keep the city safe so that corporate worship can continue and so that the people can live in safety. So that the 12 tribes of Israel can travel during these three festivals and they can come and worship Yahweh and they can drink from his river of delights and worship and just say, ah. His prayer is very God-centered, very kingdom-minded. His prayer in these verses actually prove that whatever controls your heart controls your life. David knew that he was in a battle for his own heart. He knew that it was a war for his own affections, his own values, his allegiances, and his motivations. He knew that it was a battle between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. And he knew that that battle was being fought on the turf of his own heart. He knew that sin reduces everything down to self. My wants, my wishes, my needs, my kingdom. Sin makes everything about me. Paul Tripp says, the stuff outside you, no matter how troubling, is not as dangerous as the mess inside you. And for that, you have the grace of Jesus. Sin makes everything about me. And everyone here today struggles with this. And that's why it is vitally important that we are aware of what is constantly capturing our meditation We must always be diligent to recognize what has captivated our hearts. If we make ministry ugliness, or family ugliness, or work ugliness, if we make that our meditation, it will cripple us and blind us to the realities of God's kingdom. If we are captivated by our frustrations and hurts and pains, it will paralyze us and we will be driven by the kingdom of self. Listen, if you make ministry ugliness, whatever happens here at Grace, your meditation, it will paralyze you and blind you to God's kingdom. If you make family mess and family ugliness and work mess and work ugliness and neighborhood mess and neighborhood ugliness, if you make that your meditation, it will paralyze you and blind you to the reality of God's kingdom. If we are captivated by our frustrations and our hurts and our pains, we will be driven by the kingdom of self. It's true. Whatever has your heart has you. 
Whatever love rules your heart controls your life. Love of self or love of God, what's controlling your heart today? Whatever controls your heart controls your life. Whatever we are worshiping will control every aspect of us. Make no mistake about it, we are worshipers. We're always worshiping something because we are wired for awe. And so everything that we say and everything that we do is a product of worship, a product of what has captivated us. Now, wouldn't it be nice if this were not true? Yes, but it is true. Everything that we say and everything that we do is a product of worship, a product of what has captured our hearts. I just mentioned Paul Tripp who has been very instrumental in my understanding of all of this, he said this, there is not a day when every member of the body of Christ does not need to be taught and helped to identify those remaining artifacts of an ungospelized worldview. There is also not a day when we don't need to be admonished and confronted with the fact that we still look into the world's carnival mirrors and carry around distorted opinions of who we are. Every day there is a war fought for control of your heart. But your jealous Savior, with the zeal of gorgeous, redemptive love, will not share your heart. He will not rest until your heart is ruled by Him and Him alone. Listen, the good news of the gospel is that your jealous Savior, Jesus, with the zeal of gorgeous, redemptive love, will not share your heart. He will not let you share your heart with anyone else. So with the zeal of gorgeous, redemptive love, he will not let you go. He will rescue you. He will send interruptions into your life and across your path to stop you from building your kingdom of self because he loves you and because he knows that true satisfaction is only found when you're linked up to his kingdom and his causes and his purposes and his worship, which is where we see David in Psalm 122. Jesus will rescue you because he loves you. He will frustrate your plans to reign as the king or queen of your little kingdom. He loves you too much to leave you there. It's a gracious intervention, even though so often it is very, very painful. It's painful because we're confronted with what's ugly in our own hearts. We were wired to live in awe of God, but the reality is that we will not live like this always. David didn't. David didn't have this Psalm 122 mindset all the time. You know that because you know the Bible. You've read about him. And so we all fail to worship as we should. There are days I fail so miserably at this that I say to myself as I did this week, I'm not perfect That's not me. I'm not Mr. Perfect Husband. I'm not Mr. Perfect Father. I'm not Mr. Perfect Pastor. I failed again. I'm tired of sinning. I just wasn't made for these times, Jesus. Life is too hard. I'm waiting for the day for you to come back. Jesus, come back, please. Do you ever get tired of sinning? You ever get tired of you? That was me this week. Discouraged, tired of sinning, tired of me, tired of loving my puny little kingdom. 
but I know that there's an answer to all of my working and trying and striving to be good enough. Jesus, he is the answer. He provides rest to weary people. People who are exhausted and tired because they're busy building this kingdom of self which will never bring peace and never bring rest. He provides rest to people who are exhausted, people who are weary, who, who want their way or always want to do the right thing or they're perfectionists and they got to get it right and it's just exhausting. And Jesus is the answer. He provides the rest that we're looking for. He provides rest to all who labor and are heavy laden with guilt and shame. And he provides the rest that we are all looking for. He comes and he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Quit trying to explain it all. Quit trying to be good. Quit trying to be perfect. Shh, don't talk. Put your head on my shoulder. Hear my voice and receive the gospel and rest. Rest, child. Rest. The reality is that only Jesus is perfect. We sin, we get derailed, we get lost, we drift. And so we do need daily rescue from our little kingdoms of self. And thankfully, Jesus purchased this rescue for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus always loved God. Jesus always lived for God's glory, always lived for the kingdom of God. He always lived for his Father's glory. And he credits that to us in the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the good news. His perfect life is ours now. Right now, Christian, you're perfect. That's good news, isn't it? Because some of y'all were really bad this week. You're perfect right now. That's the gospel. That's good news. His life is ours now. It is the Father's pleasure, Luke tells us, to give the kingdom to people to people who live for their own little kingdoms of self. Think about that. It is the Father's pleasure to give His kingdom to people who often live for their own kingdoms of self. It's all because Jesus didn't live for His own. Jesus gives His kingdom to a bunch of narcissists. Josh Moody says, Church is a drug rehab center where narcissists like you and me learn to kick the habit. A new society for the new creation. Hey, welcome to the kingdom, fellow narcissist. Let's learn to kick the habit together, shall we? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus welcomes usurpers to his throne. That's amazing. We all try to be king and usurp Jesus, take over his throne, and yet he welcomes us. And he forgives us and we with all of our sin and all of our weakness and all of our failures and all of our self-absorbed lives, we are welcomed into his presence. Believe that today, Christian. Rest in that today. Listen, if you're tired and exhausted from trying so hard and you hate that you always live for yourself and your puny kingdom and you hate yourself sometimes because of that, then hear the gospel again this morning. If you're a perfectionist like me, if you're a perfectionist like Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys and it's driving you crazy because all you do is fail, then hear the gospel again this morning. 
Hear the gospel again this morning and may it give you all the feels. Christian, rest. You are forgiven. You are justified. You are blameless. You are covered with his righteousness. You are as blameless and righteous in God's eyes right now as Jesus is. Rest in that. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are clean. You are adopted into his family. You are welcome in his presence. In the gospel, we have been given Jesus' perfect life. And that's good news for perfectionists like me. Perfectionists like me who fail all the time. Now, may that truth rekindle your love for Jesus this morning. May that rekindle your awe of him. So soak all of that goodness up, friends. Drink that good news up and be satisfied. Drink from the river of his delights and just say, ah, so good, so refreshing, just what I needed. It's true. No other awe can satisfy us. No other awe can satisfy your soul or mine. No other awe can give our hearts the peace and the comfort and the joy that we all long for. Only awe of Jesus can do that. Only awe of Jesus. Only Jesus satisfies. Trust me, I know from experience your little kingdom of self will not satisfy you. I battle this every single day of my life. My puny little kingdom of self never really satisfies me. And so I long for a better king, and I long for a better kingdom. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Then we wouldn't have to wait so long. And wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of world where we belong? Wouldn't it be nice if we were a little bit older? Because that would mean we're a little bit closer to Jesus coming back, right? A little bit closer. Wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of world where we belong, where we are made for? The new heavens and the new earth with Jesus? Our hearts want to be with Jesus. Mine does. So we can change that Egyptian's prayer and make it say, See how my heart runs off, stealing away. It flies to a spot it knows, going upstream to see Jesus, house of the Spirit of God, and I wish I were in it. I wish I were with him right now, don't you? Jesus welcomes us, and he says that we do belong. We belong to his kingdom, the world that we have all dreamed of. Jesus is the king that we've all dreamed about. He's the king that we all try to be. His kingdom is the world that you've always dreamed of. Your soul, like mine, has longed for a true king and a true kingdom. Well, here you go. Meet King Jesus. Welcome home. Welcome to the kingdom. Be glad today. Be free, Christian. May you hear his voice again this morning, and may it give you all the feels. Let's stand and sing and declare that Jesus is better And then may it give you all the feels. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just 
keep doing the same old things, thinking we're going to be satisfied. And we know we won't. Oh, Lord, and we, just, we fall for f- the fool's gold of this world all the time, and we get, it, we get excited. Look, look, I have gold. We, it's not true. It doesn't satisfy us, Father. Only Jesus does. Oh, Father, make our hearts believe again this morning that Jesus is better. Make us a church that is learning to kick the habit of self. Lord, that this would be a rehab center for narcissists who love themselves so much and make us a church that loves you and loves other people. So we pray again this morning, Father. Forgive us, cleanse us. Thank you that we are perfect in your eyes because of your son. And now make our hearts believe that Jesus is better. In his name we pray, amen.